This is Sportsnet Today with Riley Pollock and Patrick Dumas. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Good Saturday to Calgary. Patrick Dumas, Riley Pollock along with you on the maiden voyage of Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Well, we got a big old story to start our morning, didn't we, Riley? We certainly did. Woke up to a, a great story to kick off our show and... I mean, it's been uh, it's been a long time coming for us. We've been talking about this for a little while, and oh, yeah. it looks like we get a headline breaker to start the <laughs> inaugural Sportsnet Today show. Yes, and with the honor of being our first guest, we go down the Atlas Pizza Sports Bar guest hotline and welcome Sportsnet's Ken Weeb. How are you doing, Ken? I'm doing excellent, gentlemen. Thanks. How are you guys today? Oh, I'm doing all right. Uh, so yeah, yeah, you wrote a great article this morning on uh, on this quite the deal. Uh, Patrick Line getting sent to Columbus and Jack Roslovich getting sent to Columbus for Pierre Luc Dubois. And you wrote that article that this trade will define the Kevin Shell day off era in Winnipeg. Uh, for the listeners that may not follow the Jets on a day to day basis, enlighten us to why that may be. Yeah, I mean, anytime you trade a second overall pick. Uh... Yeah, there is some level of risk uh, involved, of course, guys, especially when it's a guy who has the potential to be a multiple Rocket Richard uh, trophy winner. But uh, the Jets are getting a bona fide number one center to pair with Mark Shifley uh, as they try to look for strength down the middle. So, I mean, for me, Kevin Cheveldayoff is, uh, is he's done a good job as GM, but uh, it's pretty clear to folks who follow him that he has been more on the risk-averse side uh, uh, doesn't take the uh, you know volume of shots as uh, guys like David Poyle and Jim Rutherford perhaps, but uh, this is a this is a mighty swing and it could have long term ramifications. I mean, Pierre Luc Dubois signs an eight year deal uh, when he is able to look at an extension. Um, it, it's a grand slam for the Jets, but uh, if in two years Pierre Luc Dubois is not signed and he's looking for a change of scenery, then then you're looking at a big challenge. But uh, for me, for a small, small market general manager, it is a, a risk worth taking. As a reporter, we're going to miss Patrick Laine around here, not just for the way that he plays, but uh, his ability to fill notebooks with quotes. Uh, he's a dynamic personality to go along with his dynamic shot and skill set. So uh, it's a big day here. A lot of emotions, both with the players, uh, the coaches, the general manager, the fan base. Uh, a lot of people are up in arms, but some people, I think a lot of those people aren't aware of how good that Pierre-Luc Dubois can actually be. Yeah, uh, we'll get right into Dubois here. Uh, now, you wrote in the article as well that there's potential that he might be paired with uh, Nick Ehlers and possibly Paul Stasny or, uh, like, as you called him, and I like that uh, Swiss Army Andrew Kopp because that's exactly what he is. Now, that line has potential to be a very strong line going forward. Uh, Ehlers, great start to the, the year, and I think that, kind of softens the blow with line a leaving because you see Ehlers like he feels like he's taking that next step oh absolutely guys i mean you you saw it in the series with the qualifying round with uh, the calgary flames i mean for a guy who had gone 22 games without scoring a postseason goal uh he erased a pretty loud narrative which i think was a little bit unfair to be uh, perfectly honest uh he's a guy who battled through some injuries in the playoffs and was a little bit snake bitten but uh this is a guy who's gone harder to the dirty areas in the last couple of years he has uh, incredible uh, speed and acceleration, and he's a high-end goal scorer. I mean, with all due respect to uh, you know Oliver Bjorkstrand, who's an excellent player, 
Uh, I don't think that Pierre-Luc Dubois has played with a player as dynamic as Nikolai Ehlers, and I think that will uh, reflect in the uh, both maybe ice time and point totals in both of those players uh, with their ability to really uh, blossom together. I mean, uh, Dubois is a guy that was a you know 42-goal, 99-point guy in junior. Uh, Columbus, we know, plays a pretty defensive system, so... I think there's the, some ability to unlock some you know, future goal-scoring potential. I think that Dubois can be a 30-goal guy. And the biggest thing for him is that it just gives the Jets so much size and skill down the middle. Mark Scheifele, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Adam Lowry, and talked about Andrew Kopp. He could play center as well. And they have David Gustafsson, uh, the Swedish player, coming up. Probably he'll be ready for full-time duty as early as next year. So they're really building down the middle. And I do think that Ehlers will really benefit from having a guy like Dubois around. He does a lot of the heavy lifting down low, but he also has uh, some real offensive upside. Now, uh, a lot of the noise, we know we saw the noise with Dubois. We saw him, him take the, the shift off. We saw what, what Coach Tortorella did to him. Now, the reason we, as like outsiders here, was Lanny didn't get a real run with, with Mark Shifley on that top line. Now, he had the, he had the, obviously playing a lot of power play, but you know, he had the run with Shifley a little bit last year, didn't quite equate analytically like Shevel Dayoff mentioned today. Now, is there more there is there more to why Lane is wanting out and is now out, or is it just like he didn't get a top run? Yeah, I mean I think usage has always been at the forefront for Patrick Lane. I mean, he did spend the majority of last year on the top line with Mark Shifley and Kyle Connor. Uh, that line didn't click uh, all that well, but I mean, I would also counter that Patrick Laine had his best season um, overall. It wasn't statistically, but in terms of his all-around game, his passing game, the biggest difference in the drop-off for Laine last year was power play. He only had eight power play goals compared to 15 or 20 in years prior. So his 5-5 five five production, I think, was actually increased. His uh, level of engagement was higher. So, I mean, again, you guys saw it on display in game mm-hmm. one of the season against Calgary. Exactly. This was a guy who was an absolute force. He had two goals and an assist, and... He won a foot race from the hash marks with Johnny Gaudreau and Sean Monaghan. And uh, in the past, uh, no one would have taken that bet at all. So uh, for me, this is a guy who's a six foot five power forward. Um, I have no issue with the Jets, you know, easing him in. Uh, when you have a 91 point player ahead of you in Blake Wheeler, um, sometimes it's harder to take that job. And I do think Patrick Lining was ready for a first line role, but uh, because of the chemistry with Wheeler and, and Kyle Connor and Mark Shifley, that, that just was not available here. So for me, I think it's probably great for both sides. Uh, Patrick has, you know, he's coming up at 4.30 here at the bottom of the hour with his first availability. Even though he's a very candid person, I don't expect him to uh, be overly forthcoming when it comes to his his departure. I expect him to be very, uh, you know, politically correct or whatever word you want to use. This is a guy who he enjoyed his time in Winnipeg. I mean, the Winnipeg is good. T-shirts are are still uh, in circulation here. And it's not that he had any issue with the city. Uh, it's just that I think he wanted a little bit more of a role. And by the time that first line, those first line minutes were going to be available to him, it was going to be a too little, too late situation. So uh, I know a lot of people who don't know Patrick think that there's a recipe for disaster going to play for a guy like John Tortorella. I don't agree with that premise at all. I think that Patrick Laine, uh is not afraid to be coached hard and I think he can actually flourish uh, under a guy like Tortorella. Though, again, I mean, will there be some times where there's an oil and water situation? Absolutely. But I expect him to do very well there. And 
I mean, Jack Rosovic uh, will definitely get more top six minutes than he probably yeah. had in the culmination of his Jets career. But again, he also played on the second line when Brian Little got hurt. Rosovic was on the second line for a long stretch of time. I mean, he had his career year with 12 goals and 29 points, but there's another level for him to reach. I think that Jack Rosovic can be a 20 goal guy at the NHL level. I'm just not sure that was ever going to transpire here in Winnipeg. Yeah, I was watching the Blue Jacket broadcast earlier against the Lightning, and they mentioned that, yeah, it just wasn't going to work out in Winnipeg. And I think he goes to a place of need, and I think it'll definitely work. It's, it's a hometown, a good for Rosovich. I'm happy that he, he he has a situation that might be a little more positive for him. Last one for me uh, before I hand off to Riley. Uh, you mentioned in the article they're trying to get a private jet <laughs> to get him and try to get through seven-day quarantine instead of the 14th. Likelihood of that or no? Well, I mean, it, it was reported that all the Canadian teams are trying to get this uh, exemption. Yep. I mean, they were willing to do it during training camp. I mean, you were only bringing players in for your own camp who would be exposed. I mean, is there some concern in some provinces um, about the potential for spread if, if a guy doesn't have the full 14-day quarantine? I don't know. I mean, the players we know are not in a full bubble, but, I mean, you're basically going from rink to hotel, hotel to rank and then vice versa i mean i, I don't I mean, the jets have a seven game homestand i mean does that factor into the decision that gets made but i mean you also understand too i mean governments are uh, also have to worry about the optics of uh, you know making exemptions for pro athletes there there's a large segment of the population that has also already voiced its displeasure when it comes to that um but for me i mean the, the fact that whether it's going to be seven days or 14 i mean obviously the jets would want them in as soon as possible but uh, the two things that really hastened this deal, I mean, we expected fully and have been reporting that the Jets and Line A both were comfortable spending the year together. Uh, I guess the fact that Dubois sort of forced the issue the other night is what hastened the process. And even the fact that Line A has been dealing with a, you know, uh, uh, un, un, undetected uh, lower <laughs> or upper body injury. Um, I mean, again, I, I think he's got an issue with the muscle, whether it's hip or back or abdominal. Yeah. I mean, remains to be seen, but I think he's probably going to miss a week or maybe even two. So I think that also played into it. You have a situation where none of the Canadian teams want to be dealing with the 14 days without a star player, but I think they'll, they'll both sides will be able to live with it and, and they'll both be happy in the long term. And again, I, I think that Dubois is a guy that would be open to signing with the Jets long term, eventually provided he sees the situation being beneficial to him. And I think, as we mentioned already earlier, I think that the the opportunity to play with someone like Nikolai Ehlers, who was under contract for multiple years coming up, I think that would uh, be very enticing for Pierre-Luc Dubois in terms of finding a long-term home. Riley Pollock. Ken, uh, what's the temperature of Jets fans right now? What have you seen on social media from the fan base regarding this trade? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you would think that the Jets just traded Timo Solani for Chad Kilger and Oleg Tevardovsky guys. Uh, there's there's a lot of uh, angst and vitriol and uh, question marking happening. I mean, to be perfectly honest, I've been uh, between doing our TV hits and writing two columns, uh, I haven't had a chance to fully you know lock in on those mentions. But uh, I know the majority of them uh, coming into the DMs and things of that nature. Uh, uh, a lot of Jets fans are certainly not happy. Uh, you have everything from <laughs> Chevrolet should be fired immediately to uh, I'm not renewing my season tickets. But again, let's see how the situation plays out. And, 
we'll see how it goes. I mean, I certainly would be willing to uh, stand quite firmly in saying that I don't anticipate Jets fans will be looking at this deal 25 years from now and saying all they got was Chad Kill, all they got was Pierre Luc Dubois. I don't see a, uh, I don't see a sequel to that uh, nightmare scenario that folks around here are still talking about. I think this is a guy who's going to quickly become a fan favorite and. Again, I'm not going to say he's going to make fans quickly forget about Patrick Laine, but he has the ability to take the Jets to uh, to a place where they want to get to. And uh, with where they're at in terms of their contention window with their core group, basically the bulk of that core group being under contract for the next four years or longer, Pierre Dubois will fit perfectly with that window. So we'll see how it works out. Nothing is ever a guarantee. Uh, there will be a lot of debate and uh Folks will be monitoring the situation, but the fun part is it just went from the comparisons between Patrick Lani and Austin Matthews just slide one position down the 2016 draft board, and now they will be linked forever uh, in Dubois and Lani as well. Yeah. Uh, what specifically do you think Dubois brings to this Jets team that already has a very high-end center in Mark Shifley? Yeah, you know, it just you have a little bit more of a I think a defensive-minded guy. I mean, Dubois is a horse. I mean, anyone who watched that series with the Toronto Maple Leafs saw what he was able to do both offensively and defensively against Austin Matthews and John Tavares. So for me, Shifley is that high, high-end skilled center. I mean, he can play head-to-head in matchups, and he is working to improve the defensive element of his game. But I think Dubois would be more, he would lean more on that defensive side and he's got that bigger body, a little bit more physical and he kind of can impose his will on you in a couple other ways. Uh, So for me, it's an unbelievable one-two punch. I mean, I'm not saying it's McDavid Dreisaitl here, but I think that the Jets are as strong down the middle as a lot of teams, if not better than most uh, in the Canadian division right now. So Again, it all depends on where the parts uh, fit in and who's comfortable with whom, but I think that Dubois is an excellent player, and I think that uh, his popularity will rise when he gets the spotlight of the uh, you know the cameras uh, all on him now being in this North Division where there are so many high-end superstars uh, on other teams. Just two more from me here with Ken Weeb of Sportsnet. Uh, was this line A trade inevitable eventually, or did it, was there some sort of hope that maybe the two sides could make it work? There's always hope for sure. I mean, but I think this is, I don't think it had reached the point of no return, but I'm pretty sure that this was coming to a head uh, no later than this off season. I mean, the jets have gone down this road with several players in recent years. Uh, Jacob Trouba was traded one year out uh, from UFA status. I don't think the jets were going to wait that long. Of course they had team control for, uh, two more years after this, but when you go into arbitration, you you know there's a risky proposition, and you don't know what the marketplace is like. Flat cap has been a, a definite factor. You have you know Seattle expansion on the horizon, so uh, I think there was always a slim chance that you know Liney could have you know, forced his way out of the top line and scored 40 goals this year, and then maybe you would have considered sticking around if the money was right. But I I, I think that if we're being honest with 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 each other, I think this was headed towards divorce so they just sped up the process uh you know whatever the what's left so 40 yeah 52 games sooner than they would have otherwise and finally uh 
Dubois' dad in the Jets organization, Eric is an assistant coach for the Manitoba Moose. Do you think that could play any part in an extension with this team? Well, the only part it would play is that he would he would have a very good familiarity with how the organization operates, what the city is like. I mean, again, I, this is a guy who's 22 years old. I don't think he's going to live with his parents in the National Hockey League. But uh, there would be some factors that will help the transition process. There's no doubt about that. Uh, would that quicken a potential extension when that time is right? But, you know, you can't get one until the final year of the deal anyway. But I think there would be – it will help the comfort level for sure. Um, and I think, obviously, that the, the Jets know about this guy's character. I mean, I understand that, the you know, his social media and, and TV was not very kind to Pierre-Luc Dubois' final shift in the National Hockey League with the Columbus Blue Jackets. We know that. That's a fact. But in talking to hockey people and people who know him well, uh, this is not a quitter. This is not a guy who you have to worry about his character. This is a high-end individual that wants to win and loves the responsibility of playing in a market where hockey really matters. So uh, I do think that I do see the, the, the roadway and the path to a long-term union. I mean, we'll see what it's like six to eight months from now, but I definitely see there being potential for these guys to, to be together long-term and, you know, again, I would expect that having your, your father in the organization would help that process, but uh, it, it may not be the, the clincher, if you will. Ken, thank you for being the first guest on Sportsnet today, Sportsnet 960 edition. Uh, enjoy that late start, 8, 9 p.m. for the Jets and Sands. <laughs> Thanks for having me, guys. Uh, enjoy the rest of the show and have a great weekend here. All right, Thanks, thank Ken. you. Uh, Ken Weeb joins us down the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Let me just find the rest of that thing. Brought to you for takeout and delivery. When you're tired of cooking, call 403-248-3344. Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. UFC 257 from Fight Island in Dubai, UAE is coming tonight. And we're going to be joined by our resident UFA expert, Primetime Peter Klein, joining Sportsnet today, right now, or after the break, on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Sportsnet today. Listen on the air, online, on the Sportsnet app, and always on your smart speaker. Sportsnet 960 The Fan, Calgary. Just a little something called UFC 257 tonight from Fight Island, and it's the return of the notorious one. And again, we go down that Atlas Sports Pizza and Sports Car. Yes, I'm going to get this. Pizza and Guess. Guest hotline and join Peter Klein. Kill me here, PK. <laughs> Look, it, it, it's a mouthful. It, it, we're we're oh all very God. excited about UFC 257. Uh, right. I'm sure you're enjoying some Atlas Pizza right now, so you, you've got a lot going on in your life. So I, <laughs> I totally understand it. Oh, God, so much, so much. I went all the way to the other side of the scene and get it. <laughs> so a guy, you know, Conor McGregor, he's back. You know, what's your, you know, give a, you know, what about this McGregor return? Is it something that the UFC was missing? Do they need it? Or have they been totally fine without him? Well, I, I'm, I'm excited for it, for one. Um, I like that this is one of the, the most exciting guys in the sport. He has not fought since the pandemic started. And so anytime he fights, it's an event. Whether the UFC needs him or not is a bit more of an interesting conversation because they have done... Uh, a pretty good job during this pandemic of just like cranking out fight after fight after fight. And um, some of them, not necessarily the, the biggest draws, 
But the deal they have with ESPN now and the, the streaming service ESPN Plus kind of takes some of the pressure off when it comes to uh, getting big pay-per-view buys and things like that. So from a relevancy standpoint, I think 2020, even with Conor McGregor only fighting in January, um, I think the UFC did a really good job of staying relevant. Now, they're always most relevant when Conor McGregor is fighting. I don't think you guys are calling me if Davison Figueredo is fighting tonight. I like that there's, there, there is a reason why we are talking about this fight, and that reason is Conor McGregor. So while the UFC has done a good job of staying relevant this whole time, they just go into another stratosphere when this dude is fighting. Hey, PK, how's it going, buddy? Good, man. How are you? Not too bad. Uh, who do you like in this main event? Is it is it Conor McGregor's fight to lose still, even though he hasn't fought in a while? Yes, yeah, it, it absolutely is. Um, there are... There are like three people on the uh, in, I was gonna say on the planet. Like if he fights John Jones, I'm picking John Jones. But there there are like three guys in the lower weight classes that he would fight. That I'm I, I would be eh, maybe not. Otherwise, like this is this is still a very skilled fighter. And this is something that uh, Ariel Helwani was talking about this week, where you kind of get lost in the pageantry and you get lost in the pre-hype videos and him throwing chairs through windows and all of these types of things you kind of forget this guy's damn good at fighting and whenever you watch it you get reminded the precision the technique the speed the skill the power that he comes with is really tough to replicate and so I, i do think this is his fight to lose i think it's going to be a bit more difficult than some people are saying dustin poirier has gone from just being a really exciting dude to being a really talented dude. And his last fight against Dan Hooker, um, Dan could have brought a baseball bat in there, and I don't know if he was getting rid of Poirier. So this is this is going to be a difficult matchup for Conor McGregor. It's one of those weird ones where the, the name value and the, the boost he's going to get off of this win probably isn't going to match the effort he has to put in because while mixed martial arts fans appreciate Poirier, he, he's not necessarily one of those guys who you just throw him on a poster and everyone knows who he is. So this is, this is going to be a difficult one for Conor McGregor tonight. But yes, I, I do still favor uh, Conor in this bout. Is Poirier's best shot a submission here? I mean, I don't think he's knocking out Conor McGregor. Not really anyone has been able to, but he has been tapped before. Is that, uh, is that the game plan going into this fight for Poirier? I would imagine so. Um, I, I do think, like, Dustin Poirier's strength is on the feet, and that, that is the tricky part for him in this fight, is that what he is good at and what he is best at, Connor's just better than him. And those are always difficult fights to go into. But Poirier, uh, in, a couple times in, in his last bout, and we've seen it in the past, where he is not afraid to go to the ground. And that is an area that, while Connor will tell you up and down, he is trying to improve upon that it's still not his strength and it is still to the point where it is uh, I think a pretty significant weakness and a pretty significant mark that anyone will have against him if anyone has any wrestling but something that Eddie Alvarez said after their fight at at Madison Square Garden is there's just something about Connor that drags you into these stand-up battles and that that's been a mental hurdle for some people to get over but if Dustin Poirier is able to do that and take this fight to the ground, then yes, uh, the submission is his clearest path to victory. Um, I, I always used to say when we, we did Combat Central back in the day, um, if the crowd's boring or if the crowd is booing, this fight favors Dustin Poirier. Now, there's not going to be much of a crowd there tonight, but if everyone on Twitter is talking about how boring this fight is, that's a very good thing for Dustin Poirier because it probably means he's controlling it. 
Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's there's not many ways to beat Conor McGregor, but that might be one of them. Uh, it's been seven years since they last met. That was at featherweight. This one going to last longer than a minute 46, PK? I think so, yes. Um, we, we've seen Dustin Poirier take a great deal of punishment. His, his, the last time he was finished, I believe, was 2016. This is someone who that move up to lightweight, I, I think, has very much helped, very much helped his chin. Um, there are... Uh, a number of different theories as to, to why that, or for reasons that could be. But I, I think he's also just done a better job of just not getting punched in the head as much, which helps, I've heard. But um, I, I do think this one's going to last a little bit longer. There are a number of people on the, the gambling side who are saying, if you want value in this fight, then it's Conor McGregor by first-round finish. I, I think Poirier is going to be able to to withstand that. I, I think that this is going to be a bit of a longer fight and a bit of a, a grind of a fight. So, yes, I will I will take the over on that number, Riles. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think I'll be gambling on that one as well. Uh, do you think Khabib comes back if Conor wins this fight uh, rather decidedly? I don't think Khabib's coming back. If he was 99.9% of all mixed martial arts fighters, I would say yes, absolutely. I would say he's coming back for a Connor fight, and then he's coming back for a George St. Pierre fight. But you could see the lack of fun in his face. And, and look, like I, I would not enjoy stepping into a cage for a fist fight. There are a number of people who wouldn't. But if that's your profession, this is a competition and something that these guys do for fun, right? Like there's still a level of passion involved in this. And that passion was gone the last time Khabib stepped into the octagon. And I think that that is a pretty legitimate feeling for him. I think that that, that joy and the, the intensity of the moment is gone and it left with his father, who, who passed away uh, during this pandemic. And he, he said in the octagon, he made a promise to his mom that he wasn't going to fight. I, I believe him. Um, and I, I don't think there's a level of money that the UFC can throw at him that's going to bring him back. And as ridiculous as that sounds, I, I think it's, I, I do believe that to be true. You, you look at some of the people that he is aligned with um, over in, in Dagestan and not the best people, but people with a lot of money. And I, I don't believe money is a motivating factor for Khabib. I, I believe he's set for life in, in whatever walk he wants to do. Money's not going to be a, an issue for him. So I, I do, I do think he stays retired. So Connor could go out there, land some weird video game Mortal Kombat fatality strike tonight, and it's still not going to bring Khabib back. I, I do believe that that Khabib is going to stay retired at twenty nine and zero. Fair enough. We're talking UFC 257, Poirier vs. McGregor with co-host of the big show, Peter Klein, right here on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Patrick. Do you buy, like, look on that, sorry, we'll set the rest of the card up here. Do you buy Dan Hooker's comments that Charles Oliveira did want to risk his standing within UFC and possibly lose to the former Bellator champ, Michael Chandler, tonight? I... I buy it a little bit. Um, I don't necessarily buy that Charles Oliveira is necessarily concerned about that. I buy that Charles Oliveira's people are concerned by that. Mm -hmm. When we, we hear these guys talking about it, and we hear it a ton in boxing, oh, this guy's ducking me, this guy's... Like, these dudes would fight in a parking lot if, if you wanted them to. Like, they are, they are not afraid of anyone. They get locked in a cage and fight people for a living. Um, their fear does not enter into these things. But when it comes to their managers and it comes to people around them, 
they tend to try to save themselves from themselves, right? So I, I think that there is a bit of preserve what you have when it comes to Charles Oliveira. And Michael Chandler is a very dangerous fighter coming over from Bellator. He can beat you in a number of different ways. So I, I don't fault the people around Charles Oliveira. But I do think um, Charles' rep- uh, representation is playing it a little bit safe here. And I, I think in the fight world, that gets looked down upon. But uh, Charles DeBronx is someone who has been hanging around the, the top of this division for a very long time. And now this is his opportunity to break through. I don't mind that he wants to, to sit and wait for a, a shot at a, a nice shiny belt at some point. Is there another uh, match on this card the outside of Hooker Chandler that gets you excited? It's not the most stacked card, but is it the Joanne and Calderwood and Jessica I fight? Is something else that's uh, got your attention? Uh, Joanne Calderwood always has my attention. Um, mm-hmm. She was someone who fought on the, the Ultimate Fighter and just has one of those personalities you fall in love with very quickly. Same with Khalil Roundtree. He just seems like an awesome dude. And so anytime he's fighting on a card, I'm intrigued. But one of the fights that really has my attention is um, the, the Sarah mcmahon Julianne Pena fight, where you look at Sarah McMahon. When she came into the sport, as she arrived, it was, this is the girl that's going to be Ronda Rousey. This is, she has the wrestling. She's smart enough that she's not going to get caught in an arm bar. That this is, the next thing and for a number of different reasons that has not necessarily translated itself yet and she lost a couple in a row coming off of a big win early last year i believe this is her first fight during the pandemic as well so this is a a big kind of stay relevant fight for her and for juliana pena speaking of people who looked great on the ultimate fighter she wins on the ultimate fighter tears every cl you have in your knee and has had some legal issues she missed some time because she was starting a family and now she is looking to get back into that relevancy so this is a fight that would have been a main event on a fight night about three years ago and is now an extremely important fight for two women who at different points in their careers were thought to be the next ones in women's mixed martial arts and haven't been able to live up to that. So this is a, a very big fork in the road moment for, for them tonight. I don't know if it's going to be the most aesthetically pleasing uh, contest tonight. I don't know if we're going to get a lot of gifts online. Uh, and again, it is pronounced gift, not gif. Um, but no, I, I think that this is going to be a bit of a, a bit of a grinded out fight, but a very important fight for, for these two women. All right, PK, before we let you go, I need uh, I need some betting advice here. Um, I haven't really looked at rounds and such like that, fast fights, slow fights, but in terms of money line underdogs, there's a couple I have my eye on. You let me know if uh, I should bet on them or not. Okay. Uh, Chandler was plus tw- 120 as of last night. Any chance that he pulls off an upset there? Yes, absolutely. I th- There are very few times that you can catch... Vegas, and I think that there is a bit of a blind spot for fighters coming into the UFC from other promotions. Uh, Dan Hooker is really, really good, but so is Michael Chandler, and he has beaten former UFC champions before. He was a Division One All-American wrestler who has now knocked out his last two opponents, so he is very well-rounded. And the one thing that caught me when I was doing some, some studying for this card, when... Excuse me. When Dan Hooker was fighting, um, was fighting Poirier, 
as the, the fight went on a little bit longer, Hooker would get a little bit tired in the exchanges, and then as he shot, it was extremely sloppy. He, ne- he left his neck really exposed, and Poirier wasn't able, like he got him locked in a couple times, and Hooker was able to get out. I don't think Chandler provides that luxury. So I, I do think Chandler, as a, a dog, is a good look. And if you want to add maybe just a little bit more spice to that one, uh, if you wanted to go Chandler by submission, I think that's a, a pretty good way to go about things as well. Interesting. All right, one more. Marina Rodriguez, plus 250. How do you think she fares against Rebus? Oh, Rebus is so good, man. Uh, like, it's... Again, we're talking about people getting punched in the head, so anything can happen, but I, I would probably avoid that one. I, I think that... I, I think Amanda has a chance to be kind of one of the next ones. So that's that's probably one that I would avoid. Fair enough. Thank you, PK. Don't get hit in the head while watching the fights tonight. Enjoy. <laughs> oh, you know I probably will. Thanks, boys. <laughs> we'll talk you, soon. Buddy. All right. Uh, Peter Klein, our UFC expert, joining us on the Adla Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Got it. There we go. All right, Riles. What's happening tomorrow? Actually, don't tell. I think we know what's happening tomorrow. Around the corner, <laughs> we got huge, huge NFL Conference Championship weekend and some news from the Flames ahead of their Sunday matinee against the Toronto Maple Leafs. You're listening to Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Back to Sportsnet Today on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Yeah, I actually uh, just got out of the protocol. Um, The week has just been uh, a bunch of testing, a bunch of – different things just to make sure that I, that I'm, I'm good to go. And there's no lingering effects and anything like that. Um, but everything's been good. And I've, I've went through what all the uh, three, four different doctors have said, uh, and everything's looked, it looked well and I'm out of it now. There he is. Patrick Mahomes, the quarterback of the Kansas city chiefs cleared concussion protocol. He's raring to go as the AFC championship and the NFC championship will go tomorrow. Chiefs and bills in the AFC Packers, Buccaneers in the NFC. Welcome back to Sportsnet today. Packers, Buccaneers. Now, Riley, is this the best ever NFC championship quarterback matchup ever? Now, you got to go all the way back. You got to go. There was Aikman, Montana. There was Aikman, Young. There's been Aikman, Favre. There's been Brady, Manning. Or sorry, that Montana, AFC. But on the NFC side, do you think Brady and Rodgers is the best ever? I think it could be just the way these two are playing right now as well. I mean, they might be old, but I think Aaron Rodgers is about to win an MVP this season. And Tom Brady has looked really, really good uh, since coming over to the Bucks. So in my opinion, considering it's maybe the greatest quarterback of all time against this year's probable MVP, I think it is the best quarterback matchup ever. Patrick, uh, what do you think about this one? Well, for years, I've been wanting a Rodgers Brady Super Bowl and we've gotten close a few times uh but never quite there this is the probably the closest we'll ever get to them playing for a Super Bowl and it's the next best thing it's a chance to go to the Super Bowl and I think it quite possibly could go down as the best ever you got Aaron Rodgers at 37 years old ticking at a disgusting level he was a few points away from breaking his single season quarterback rating record his 48 touchdowns like it's it's amazing and then you got what tom brady's doing in a new system in tampa it it really shows who mattered more in that relationship brady or belichick and we think we see who's winning that relationship and that conversation 
So, yeah, man, this I'm excited. It's all about going to Lambeau. Can those guys from Florida come up to North? Brady's done it before in New England, but uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm gunned for this. Weather's supposed to be a little chilly, a little bit of snow tomorrow at Lambeau. Uh, Packers used to that one. Last week, the Rams certainly were not good in that environment. Uh, but yeah, like you mentioned, Tom Brady's played in the cold before. He has been a Patriot forever. Um, do you think Do you think the weather plays much of a factor tomorrow? Well, it does. Whoever says it doesn't, it does. Uh, it's all about, it's a mental thing, I think. If you listen to the Pat McAfee show, he has Aaron Rodgers on every Tuesday. Go on YouTube, it's great. The conversation that Aaron has had with McAfee, it's a different mindset how that guy ticks this year. He's went back to a lot of his uh, 2010 form when they won the Super Bowl 45. So, man, that mentality of that weather, it's tough for those guys that have constantly played in the South, have, have you know, they grew up in the South or whatever. It's a different mindset. And I think it could be a shock. And if if it gets off to a rough start, if, if that Packers defense can hit Brady a couple times early, get him off that game. And I think it's game over real quick. Yeah, I mean, that's the, I think that's the matchup that it comes down to is the mm-hmm. Packers defense against the Tampa offense. I think that will determine this game. Uh, Packers D's been good this year. Um, they've, oh, yeah. They've been really good, and uh, the way to beat Tom Brady is to get in his face. Now, the Packers' pass rush might not be this the strength of their team, but yeah, um, do you think that the Packers' D has the ability to stop Tampa and all its weapons? I mean, we know that AB's not going to play. Mike Evans isn't 100%, but they still have Godwin. Fournette's really stepped up in the playoffs, and uh, oh yeah, they still have Gronk too. So <laughs> do you think the Packers' D has what it takes to uh, hold down this Tampa offense? I think it does. It's got a lot of names on the defense that a lot of casual fans may not you know, know about. Like Zadarius Smith is two years in Green Bay. He's one of the best rush edges in the entire league. He's got 15-plus sacks in two seasons. Preston Smith down year, but he still can get after it. Rashawn Gary, first-round pick from last year, he can, he's picked up the game a ton. The Mike Patton showed that defense the game film, the entire game of that NFC Championship from last year against San Francisco where the Niners ran all day on him. Grappolo threw the ball, what, eight times? And he showed that film to that defense. There's only one starter that wasn't there last year, and that's Chris Barnes, rookie linebacker, having a great year. So, yeah, I think that defense can step up, stop that run. Jair Alexander on the outside, probably the best corner, cover corner in the league, better than Jalen Ramsey. Oh, Jair Oh, Bill Belichick called him his favorite player in his draft. So if Belichick thinks you're pretty dang great, then you're pretty great. And that guy's at another level. Darnell Savage in the safety. I worry about that other corner, Kevin King. He's banged up, but he's always been banged up. But I definitely think, America, Canada, the world, they're going to see that Packers defense, what they can do. Hope I don't, you know, not touch wood here. I am a Packer fan, <laughs> but no, but the Bucks, <laughs> yeah, Brady's been here before. I just, I just think that defense for Green Bay, it's on another level than it was last year. And obviously that offense, it's, it's, it feels like it's a perfect atmosphere. It's the perfect year with what Matt LaFleur has done and that whole team right now. Yeah. I, uh, I'm more of a gut feeling Packers guy this year. Um, I, I'm going to be honest with you. Neither game, I have a great feel on how it's going to turn out. 
Um, but yeah, I just I feel like this is just the Packers the Packers year to make it to the Super Bowl. So we'll have to see tomorrow. But I'm fired up for that one for sure. Agreed. Uh, we'll look at the AFC side here quickly. Well, not quickly. We got some time here. So Pat Mahomes, he's he's gonna play. Dealing with the concussion, was it a concussion? Was it something in his neck? I know it was reported early in the week. Nothing really gained traction on that, but uh, his toe, that's going to be a problem, maybe? We don't know. How's it? How's your look on that? Turf toe sucks. I've had yeah. it. Uh, okay. It's it's the worst. And before I had it, I was kind of like, what do you mean, turf toe? Like, just <laughs> get out there and play. But no, it, it it's not fun at all. Um, so yeah, that could definitely be a factor and it's on his plant foot as well. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, that could be a huge deal for Patrick well, Mahomes he, because he likes to use his legs and you have to you step into throws. Exactly. You saw it last week against Cleveland. He still made, he still made like, I think he ran for 14 yards limping. So he's feeling it, but he, he can put it to another level. I think that pain exists, but it's only temporary for him. He's, he's a superhuman. Yeah. The Chiefs ran the ball all over the Bills in their matchup in uh, the regular season. But it, it kind of seemed like the Bills were just playing that defense where it's they weren't going to give up the big play. But it didn't work because the Chiefs ran the ball so well. So I'm wondering if they adjust their defense a little bit to try and stop that run a little bit more. Haven't heard much about Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. I'm assuming he's going to suit up this week. Um, but yeah, if that, the bills are going to have to stop the run a little better than they did in the regular season, if they want to win. Yeah. He is listed as questionable ahead of, uh, it's a late start. So we don't, have, we all have to wait a bit. So I think he'll got that. Out. I think, I think that's key for the chiefs is running that ball. They didn't do all that great against Cleveland running the ball. And I think it was just that crazy called by Andy Reid there on fourth and one with Chad Haney and guts to props to Chad Haney on that third and 14 putting his head in there I think that was that was an amazing play he's been there before now what can the Bills do you know we see what Josh Allen has done all year he's probably going to finish third in the MVP vote but you know any other year he's probably one or two what are the Bills going to do to try and the counter the Chiefs is, is, is it going to be a high scoring game uh, yeah, I think it is going to be a high-scoring game, and I think the Bills are going to do exactly what they did against the Ravens, and that's throw the ball a ton. Uh, the Bills didn't really run all that much against the Ravens. Now, I know the Ravens' rush defense is yeah probably yeah, the best in the league, but I just don't think the Bills have very good running backs, to be honest, and I think they just trust Josh Allen and you know Diggs, Beasley, all those kind of guys more than they trust the running game. So I expect the Bills to throw the ball a lot, and I think mm -hmm. it's going to be a shootout. Oh, yeah. I think I, I think you got the two best offenses definitely on the AFC side. You got probably the four best offenses remaining here. Now, uh, odds, what do we like? Uh, the Packers, three and a half, minus three and a half, over under set at 50. Chiefs, they're uh, minus three favorites, over under set at 54 and a half. You think both cover, or do you think uh, you think the, like the, you like the Bills? I'm taking Bills plus three for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, I think I'm going to roll with Packers minus three and a half, though. Yeah, those lines were from yesterday. I haven't checked uh, updated, but I think they're probably about the same. Uh, yeah, that Packers game, I don't – it could be high scoring, but I also think 
Both defenses are pretty disciplined, probably Green Bay more so. Tampa Bay is definitely declined in the defense part, and Green Bay has risen. Ever since that Delvin Cook game where Minnesota beat them, Green Bay's defense has definitely excelled where Tampa's maybe has gone down from their Week 6 meeting. Anyways, it's going to be an amazing weekend tomorrow for the Packers and the Buccaneers in the NFC Championship. It's a 105 start. No radio for it because we're going to have – well, I'll get that after. And then the Chiefs and the Bills at 440 Calgary time. And we'll see by tomorrow night who's going to be in Super Bowl 55. Bucks trying to become that first team ever to play host in their stadium and play in said Super Bowl. Flames and Leafs go Sunday. Game day live with Pat Steinberger at noon. Warm up at 1 o'clock. Puck drop at 2 o'clock. For the Flames and the Maple Leafs, they've been off for a long time. Dylan Dubay still day-to-day, but we'll have a lot on the Flames tomorrow with Pat Steinberg. Riley, thank you. This has been great on our maiden voyage of Sportsnet today. Cannot wait till next Saturday. Yeah, it was it was great. It flew by, um, oh, yeah. and I can't wait to uh, roll again next week. Yes, thank you to our producer, Jeff Hubbard, Riley Pollock. I'm Patrick Dumas. You've been listening to Sportsnet today. CBS Sports Radio is next. This is Sportsnet 960, The Fan.